In our fourth week in this series, we've been talking about this is my church, this is my city. What God has called us to be as a church and what he's calling us to do in the context of the city which we find ourselves. As you remember, as you look in your outline there, we've been looking at a, a vision statement that I believe God has inspired for us for a time such as this. In case you have missed a week or two, our mission is, is very clear. Any Bible-believing church, the mission is set. You may have a, a different spin on it, but, but it's, it's the same mission, to make disciples. For us, it's to make Christ-like disciples across the street, across town, and around the world. And, and how we're going to do that, we celebrate big together here on a weekend gathering like this, and we connect small in our groups and classes celebrating in spirit and in truth, and connecting through caring, learning, and serving together. But what does it look like if that takes place? What would be just a few miles down the road of of what God may be leading us in? I see hundreds of connection communities of Christ-like disciples. They won't all fit in this building. They will be some here for sure, but there'll be some in your house. There'll be some that meet at your place of business. There'll be some that meet in restaurants and coffee shops all over the city. Hundreds of connectional communities, not just of people who like to be together, not just people who who kind of agree on certain things in life, but connectional communities of Christ-like disciples, united in prayer, intentionally reaching the world for Christ out of a fresh overflow of the Holy Spirit. Our first week, we saw that it's important to start with that end phrase and that statement, that until we have an overflow of the Holy Spirit, we're just working out of the flesh. We saw that John teaches us, Jesus' words said, come to me and drink. Remember, not everybody who comes to Jesus drinks, but when we come to him and we take a drink, Jesus says, the water I give you is, is my spirit. There is life there. And and when we come to Jesus and drink, he satisfies our soul. And he says, out from you should come a river of life. Remember this? Any of this ringing a bell? This is where we've been. And so this overflow of the Spirit is so key for any of this to possibly take place. What's flowing out of you today? Something's flowing out of you. Is it life or is it something else? In our second week, we saw that this uniting together, this bonding together, is not out of a similar interest or a common opinion or even a denominational name tag or whatever it is. It's united in prayer. And it's not us just reciting the same words, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, or now I lay me down to sleep and help me wake up tomorrow kind of a thing. It's, it's more of a, a heart cry to God with obedient ears and obedient eyes and obedient hands and feet ready to do what God tells us. And when we pray like that, there is a gospel partnership that forms. And we saw then last week what in the world this connectional community could look like. We saw the biblical foundations for a call to community and looked at the the real life story of David and Jonathan and, and how real friendships in the Lord can be very meaningful to us and powerful in the kingdom of God. But this morning I want us to key in on this part of the vision statement, intentionally reaching their world for Christ. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 51. We'll be there for just a moment, and then you can put another finger in the book of Jonah. We'll be at Jonah chapter 1 right after that. 
But Psalm 51, 17 is what comes right after the verse that Keith just read today. Now, this is the prayer that David prays. It's uh, noted that this is the prayer after his sin with Bathsheba. Nathan comes to him and tells him a story of somebody who has sinned and, and what should happen to this person. And, and David says, they should be held to account. And then Nathan says, you are that man. And he, he, he doesn't argue. He's been caught. He's there and he is broken before God in repentance. And he cries out to him, oh God, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. And at verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Another translation says, and God will not reject. In other words, what what David is praying here, the truth that we see is, if God wanted a sacrifice or a burnt offering, in other words, a religious act, he would have asked for it. But, But the sacrifices of God, it's not getting more gold stars on your attendance chart for church. Uh, What the sacrifice God wants is not you just running your eyes over more pages of Scripture, as good as that is. That's not the sacrifice that God calls for. God calls for the sacrifice of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Now, in our culture, not many of us like to be broken or to even admit there's anything we can't do. But all throughout Scripture, we see that God is calling us to be broken before Him because He can do something with us in that context. Well, just take that thought, press pause on the DVR of your mind, and let's take a look at the book of Jonah together. As we do, I want to play a little game together. It's interesting to me how we can do word association in our culture. For example, I can say one phrase, and you could help me finish it. Peanut butter and... Now, have we talked? Did we plan this? No. It just kind of, it kind of fits. Batman and Robin. Okay, we get this. Now, let's try this. We get this with our, our study of Scripture. David and... Okay, very good. Samson and... Right. Daniel and the... Jonah and the... Well, I don't want to talk about Jonah and the whale. I want to talk about Jonah and the worm. We often give a lot of credit to the big fish. We give a lot of credit to the whale, and that's a a key part of the story. But I want us to spend some extra time this morning looking at Jonah and the worm. And before we can get to that key part in chapter 4, we need to have a quick review of what I believe God wants us to remember from Jonah's story. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1 we see that God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, I want you to turn there and hold it in your hands. I'm going to kind of walk through or paraphrase uh, chapter 1, 2, and a little bit of 3 before we get to 4. But the reason I want your Bible open is I want you to see I'm not making this stuff up. It's right there in front of you. You remember what happens, or you can read what happens. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I I don't want to do that. I'm not going. And so he goes... 1,900 miles in the opposite direction. It says he goes and he gets a ticket to board a ship and and he's fleeing and he does not want to go where God tells him to go. And you remember what happens in the story. God sends a great wind. 
and the wind is bringing great waves and it's crashing down on the ship and, and the crew on that ship begins to get nervous and, and they go down and they find Jonah dead asleep. And they wake him up. Hey, hey, you're a religious man, aren't you? Call on your God to do something. We're going to die here. What have you done? It says they, they cast lots. They, they try to figure out who's responsible for this and, and Jonah owns up to it. He says, I, I'm... I'm running from God. You know what? It's better for me to die than everyone else to die. Why don't you just toss me overboard? I can see these, these fishermen, these, these crew on this, this boat, they're not so sure they want to do that. They try to give it another try. Well, we don't want to just throw you over some innocent guy. Let's try a little bit longer. The waves get to be bigger. The wind is stronger, and they take him up on his offer. You know what? If that's going to work, we're going to try it. So they take him and they throw him overboard. And at the end of chapter 1 there, you find that God has mercy on Jonah. And he sends a great fish to swallow him up. And that's where we see the story. Uh, We get kind of hard on Jonah at times. It's easy for us to say, how could Jonah run from God? I mean, God's calling you to a, to a ministry and you just run from God. Well, what are you thinking, Jonah? But before we get too hard on Jonah, let's make sure we understand some of the background details here that may shed some new light for us. Jonah was an experienced and trusted prophet of Israel. He wasn't some newbie. He wasn't some fly-by-night preacher. He was an experienced and trusted prophet of Israel. God had spoken through him before. He had been used by God before, and so this was somebody who knew what the voice of God sounded like, someone who had obeyed God before, someone who had been, been a witness to the miraculous things that God could do. Jonah had a high place of influence in Israel. He came from a great family heritage. He had a great pedigree. He was of the right side of the tracks, and, and he'd been raised up in the things of God, and, and he was now ministering in the things of God. This is who Jonah is. And sometimes we kind of gloss over this. We think, well, Jonah, he just didn't listen to God, and, and what a crazy guy. We'd never be like Jonah. Well, let's make sure we understand Nineveh. Nineveh was 500 miles to the north. It was well known to be a wicked city. They were known for their wickedness. It was the capital city of the enemy of Israel. And so Jonah very well knew about Nineveh. It was their nemesis. It was the thorn in their flesh, the oppressor to his people. And so for God to call him to them was very uncomfortable. It's those people. It's the ones who have wronged us. It's the ones who we have been under all kinds of persecution from. And you want me to go to them? Why would you want me to go to them, God? They were a constant and dreaded enemy of Israel. Now, Tarshish, the place where Jonah flees, as I said a moment ago, it's 1,900 miles in the opposite direction. And some scholars tell us that Tarshish was was the edge of the known civilized world at the time. And so in some ways, Jonah's not just going 1,900 miles in the opposite direction. He's going as far away as he possibly knows he can go in civilization. And the ships of Tarshish were known to have jewels and known to have wealth. And, and so another way to see is what God is meaning. Literally, Jonah chooses a ship of wealth, chooses a place of 
comfort, chooses a place to go that is as far away as he knows he could go to get away from where God is taking him. And that's what we find in Jonah. With this information, it helps us see that he is somebody who knows God. He's probably more like us than like somebody that we would imagine him to be. They throw him over and Jonah is swallowed up by the big fish. Now, a sidebar note, it's interesting to me that Jonah felt like uh, paying the price to go to Nineveh was way too high. It would cost him too much of his pride, too much of his safety, too much of the unknown. He could not take that risk. It was asking way too much, but he didn't calculate the cost of what it could cost him if he would disobey God. I mean, here the price, he almost lost his life, and yet he weighed the difference between going to Nineveh and fleeing from God and said, I'm going to choose to run away. We need to count the cost of when God calls us to go somewhere, to do something, to, to listen to him. It's maybe scary, but it's a whole lot better than going against God. As we just read that passage and Psalm 51:17. we're going to begin to see a connection, I believe, between what David experienced in Psalm and what Jonah is experiencing at chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1. There is a brokenness there. Let's look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. He was distressed, and and he calls to God. And as you read this prayer, he's saying, God, don't forsake me. Uh, Give me mercy. Come to me. He is broken in repentance. If you're taking notes, jot that down. Jonah, we see, is first broken in repentance for his disobedience. Some of us today can connect with Jonah's story. Maybe the reason why God is bringing this to us is, if we're honest, we can't think about going forward where the vision of Grace Point is going or where God is calling us as an individual if we're living in willful disobedience. Well, Pastor Brady, that kind of reminders for people who, who don't know God. Well, yes, but Jonah, a trusted prophet of Israel, needed to be reminded that being disobedient to God leads to death. It's not okay to live on yesterday's obedience. I need to continue to be obedient. And so when he was finally broken in repentance, God could do something in his life. What is the Nineveh in your life that God may be calling you to? What is the Tarshish that you have chosen as a replacement for what God wants your obedience in? Are you willing to allow God to bring you to the end of yourself, to break you So you can have a heart of repentance. But let's read on. After we see this prayer and Jonah is repented, he's broken before God. In fact, in that prayer, in verse 8 of chapter 2, he says, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Just remember this prayer. (laughs) This is interesting to me. Those who cling to worthless idols could forfeit the mercy and grace of God. He's broken in repentance. But quickly, he'll forget this. Let's... Look on in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it the message I have given you. 
Proclaim to them the message that I have given to you. So God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the message. He says no. He gets on the boat. He's swallowed up by a whale when he's tossed over. God allows this whale to spit him up on dry land. And now God comes to him again and says, go to Nineveh. There's a thought here for us. When God gives us something to be obedient in and we disobey, and then we come back in repentance to God, he doesn't change his mind. When God says, I I want you to do and you fill in the blank. And you say, I don't know that I can do that, God. But we bring ourselves to a place of repentance and say, God, I want you to forgive me. I want you to help me. He says, okay, good. Now obey what I've told you to do. He doesn't change the mission. He doesn't give it uh, another facelift and, and soften it a little bit. And say, you know what I was thinking, Jonah? You're kind of right. I mean, Nineveh is really out there. They're just kind of extreme. Why don't you go to this city instead? No, go to Nineveh. He tells him again. And look at Jonah's response in verse 3 of chapter 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. He was now not only broken in repentance, he was broken in surrendering to God's leading him to Nineveh. This brokenness that David experienced in, in Psalm 51, 17 is the same type of brokenness that Jonah is going through. We need to be broken in repentance for our disobedience. We need to be broken in surrender to the leading that God has for us. But as soon as he's broken in surrender and he goes, we find in chapter 3 that he preaches to Nineveh. And it tells us here that the city is so important, it takes three days. So whether it's that many venues he had to preach at, or that many people, or their philosophy was so messed up that he had to convince them over time, over three days, but he preaches for three days, gives them the message of judgment. You need to repent from your wicked ways. Turn, or God will bring judgment down on you. Called them to repentance. Now something interesting happens here. Jonah is calling for repentance, and at the end of chapter 3, we see that God witnesses, he sees how the people respond. The leaders of that community hear this message and call everybody to repent. And you would think that Jonah would be thrilled. What preacher, what prophet preaches a message of repentance and people then repent and he's ticked off? I tell you who. A preacher or a prophet who really didn't have a heart for the people he was preaching to or talking to. One, he wanted to just kind of Preach down hellfire and brimstone on them, not to give them what they need, but to hopefully pay back for what they've done to him. Jonah was broken in repentance. He was broken in surrender. But third, Jonah was not broken for lost people. Pastor Betty, I'm trying to track with you. What does this have to do with intentionally reaching our world for Christ? Friends, We not only have to be right with God, we not only have to have that river of life flowing out of us and surrendering to God and let the Holy Spirit move through us, but we need God to break our hearts for the people that He desperately loves. It is very possible to be in right relationship with God, to repent. It's possible to surrender and move in at least a shell of obedience where God's calling you to go, but not have a heart for what it is He's calling you to do. Jonah is ticked off. Let's look at Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. You just witnessed the people repenting. But Jonah was greatly displeased and he became 
angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is Jonah saying, I told you so, God. This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now hear this. He's not just kind of ticked off. He is so angry. He is so disturbed that these people are repenting. These people, those other side of the tracks people, that he said, it's better for me to die than to live. That's a pretty serious frustration with God. But, verse 4, the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? You see, Jonah has a cold heart towards lost people. And God is asking him, what right do you have to be angry? Why is your heart so cold? You, Jonah, were just living in disobedience to me. You, Jonah, just would would, would totally disobey, go the opposite direction, and then you tell me, who are these people that would have worthless idols and they would miss out on the grace of God? Do you mean that prayer? His cold heart towards lost people was gleaming in the darkness of his attitude. We read on, this is my favorite part of this book. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. Look at the last part of verse 6. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. He was ticked off that God would bring salvation to these people and show mercy to them, but he was happy about the vine. In other words, Jonah, he's preached these messages, and he goes out east of the city, and he said, you know what, I can just, I know it, I know God's going to be merciful to them, but I'm going to sit here and wait and see. Maybe they'll mess up. Maybe they won't get it right. In fact, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to build myself some kind of structure, some kind of shelter, I'm just going to sit here and pout. And just hope that they get what they deserve. Oh God, have mercy on me. Your servant who has disobeyed you, save me. And I will preach what you want me to preach. Don't give that mercy to them. This is what Jonah's doing. And why in the world, with this attitude, God chooses to get a vine to grow up, to give shade for his stinking attitude right there east of the city. This is the God of mercy. This is the God who says, Jonah, I even love you. Here are the people of Nineveh, so wicked, are quickly repenting and coming to me, and yet you have received this mercy, and now you don't want it to go to anybody else. Just to the people you want. Tarshish would be fine. Joppa would be fine, but not Nineveh. But then let's read on at verse 7 what, what God does. This is so cool. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm. I told you, it's Jonah and the worm, not Jonah and the whale. God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, he said. 
it would be better for me to die than to live. Here, Jonah again says, you know what? I'm sitting here in the stinking sun. This worm has chewed away this vine that I was so happy about. I was so thrilled about my shade tree that now I'm angry enough to die again. I mean, this isn't your Bible. This is what, this is what happened. And so God's response to him in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you have the right to be angry about the vine? You did not tend to it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and as many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? God help us. I think that for us here today, we have a lot to learn from Jonah's experience. He was broken in repentance, yes. He was broken in surrender, yes. But he was not broken for lost people. And and I believe that God is wanting to tell us, could it be that you and I are blinded by our comfort? For us to intentionally reach our world for Christ, and we'll talk about some specifics next week on how to do this. It won't even make any bit of difference until our heart is breaking for the people he's calling us to reach. That sounds good, Pastor Brady. Now, who are you talking about? I want you to imagine the people in your circle of influence who give you the most trouble. I believe God's calling us to reach them. Who are the people in our city who live the farthest from God? Could it be that God's calling one of us to be a missionary to them? It could it be that God wants us to have an attitude where grace and his mercy can abound. Now, God didn't say, Jonah, go give the gospel light. Go tell him it's no big deal about sin. No, he said, turn from your wicked ways or there's destruction. He was clear on the truth. But they responded and God's grace was there. What is it that is a shade tree in your life? Here, Jonah, in the belly of the whale, said, these people who worship worthless idols miss out on the grace of God. How prophetic from the prophet about himself. He was worshiping the shade tree. He was worshiping the comfort. He was worshiping what gave him some satisfaction. And God sent a worm to chew away and eat away at his comfort to help him not be blinded by his own comfort. God sends a worm to wake up Jonah. I'm asking that God would send a worm to wake us up. Friend, God will not force you or I out of our bad attitudes towards lost people, but he will provide a way for us to see ourselves for who we really are and give us an opportunity to change. And God's not going to force you, but he'll give you an opportunity like he did for Jonah to see you really care more about a plant than you do my people. As we close this morning, I just want to ask you, Where is God connecting your story to Jonah's today? Could it be that you find yourself running away from God? You are living in blatant disobedience, going the opposite direction of what you know God wants you to do. He's calling you to be broken in repentance today. God still accepts a broken and contrite heart. God wants to use you. But we have to come to the place where we surrender to Him. He wants us to be broken and surrender. Not only just saying, God, forgive me for my sin, my disobedience, but I, I want you to, to, to be pleased with me so I will do what you want me to do, broken and surrender. But I believe there's a lot of us here today 
we are like Jonah. We've had a pedigree that has raised us in the things of God. You've been a trusted minister of the gospel, a faithful steward of the gospel. You've repented, you've surrendered, but is your heart broken for lost people? And here's the cool part. You don't have to muster up enough compassion on your own. If you get honest and say, I don't really care about Nineveh. I should, but I don't. God will break your heart if you let him. As Pastor Edgar is going to play a song here in just a second, I want to give us an opportunity to engage with this text today. God may be speaking to you, and, and here's what can happen. You can say, oh, good talk, and then walk out the doors, and it'll be lost forever on you. Or maybe you could acknowledge that there's some eternal significance happening this morning. Way more important than anything else on the agenda today. God may want to break you again and again. If he's speaking to you today, as we sing this song, I want to invite you to take God up on his offer to send a worm and eat away at the comfort zone you have. And maybe you want to come and meet me at this place of prayer and say, God, would you break me in repentance? Would you break me in surrender? Or would you break me to have a heart for lost people the way you do. As our typical pattern, don't come because I'm asking you. That's silly. But if God's speaking to you, it'll be like a neon sign flashing in your mind. You can't wait till I shut up so you can do what God's telling you to do. You know exactly what it is. If that's for you today, don't wait. You just stand up and you come. You meet me at this altar and we're going to pray together. Let's mind God. As you hold that sheet of paper in your hand, we're going to pray together as we close this morning. And whether you have one name or three names or five names or if you have nothing written written down, it's okay. Maybe the most important thing today is you can say, God, I can't think of anybody. This is the beginning of God breaking your heart. Is there anybody that you're doing life with, that you're building a relationship with, to the best of your knowledge, they're far from Jesus? If not, He wants to break our heart to open up space in our life. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, this aggravates me. Let's get out of here. I love you too. Let's pray that God will break our hearts together. For when we take time in corporate worship to think about those He's calling us to go to, it doesn't make us so angry that we sit east of the city and go, I'm so ticked off about this. Jonah was a trusted prophet of Israel. God had used him before. But he needed to be broken to be able to be in a place where God could use him to reach those who really needed him. Hold that list in your hand, whether it's blank whether it's full, let's take it to God now. Heavenly Father, I thank you that what you have done in Jonah's life is not over. You are still longing to work through your kids this very day. Lord, as we look at this list, we want to call them out to you by name right now. Friend, I encourage you to lift them up by name. You're not judging them. You're not saying they are a worthless person. It's quite the opposite. You're saying they are so valuable to God. Therefore, they're valuable to you. And so let's take it to God and and ask for Him to break our heart for the people that He desperately loves. 
Lord, we ask that you'll give us opportunities to share your message, the gospel message with our brothers and sisters. God, would you give us a heart of compassion, a heart of mercy, a heart that longs to go to these people the way that you do, God. Lord, as we sit there and we stare at a blank sheet of paper, would you convict us of how much time we spend just with each other that maybe we need to take a little bit of time to intentionally build a relationship with someone around us that that doesn't know you. God, I pray that you'll be with each of us at some point in our life. We've had an attitude of, of being complacent or rebellious. God, would you break that in us today so you can use us to reach the people around us. It's in your son's powerful and precious name we pray these things. Amen and amen. But thank you for your attention and worship today. I want to challenge you. Take time today to read through the book of Jonah. It's four chapters. It's a quick read. I believe God wants to breathe on that more for you. Don't miss tonight as we look at what to do when everything in our life is crumbling. What can you depend on? What is unshakable in your life as we start a new series tonight at 6 o'clock? God bless you. You're dismissed.